0: Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Head of Physical Performance, Medicine and Nutrition at the Football Association, Bryce Kavanagh. Thanks for tuning in to episode 328 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So I am absolutely delighted to get Bryce Kavanagh on for this episode and it's going to form the first of three podcasts, three episodes, with the guys from the FA. So the first one is with Bryce and that's here and now, so that's episode 328. And in this episode, we have a little chat around the FA performance team structure. We have a little chat around recruiting, generalists with a specialism which fits into their structure and the pick, train, play framework that is going to form the the basis for the end of this episode but the start of the next two so the next two coming up are with martin evans and ben rosenblatt then we've got uh, Chris Rosmus and Pete Tierney on episode 330. But today's with Bryce Kavanagh It's an absolute fantastic episode with someone who's got an incredible, incredibly interesting background, but also doing some really good work at the FA. So over to Bryce. I hope you enjoy this episode and I'd love your feedback. This episode of the of Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics, the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So they're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. Head over to the website uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can I mean, you can also schedule a demo. And follow them on Twitter at HawkingDynamics. This episode of the Pacy Performance Podcast is sponsored by iMeasure You. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from U is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So U have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident, which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions, and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. iMeasureU, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro, and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defense, and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website imEasureU.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at iMeasureU. So without further ado, over to the episode with Bryce Kavanagh. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So this afternoon, I'm delighted to welcome Bryce Kavanagh. So welcome to the podcast, mate. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me, Rob. It's been one of the longest stalkings Known to my, not not because of you, but because of uh, because of me, just pestering and pestering. So thank you very much for giving up your time. I do appreciate it. I really do uh, appreciate it.
1: Oh uh, mate.
0: Yeah, it has been, but that's <laughs> my doing. So uh, yeah, we we we're here now. We got it. We got it. We did, mate. And you've definitely won the beard off the ginger beard off. I'm I'm way behind. I'm way behind. But we've got a lockdown ahead of us, so that's that's a bit of a chance for me to. To, to catch up but it's good to, be in a,
1: good to be in the vicinity of another ringer mate so
0: yes absolutely If anyone doesn't know who you are just want to give us a brief background on yourself well don't, don't have to be brief absolutely not because it's, it's super interesting and you've come up a couple of times in podcasts not that you may be aware but you have um so yeah brief background on you education wise and what you're currently doing at the fa yeah i think i've dave slam a beer if i'm correct um yes you do
1: um, yeah, mate. Sort of start with the tough questions, mate. Who am I? It's it's not one I necessarily like answering, um, mate. Besides, sort of, yeah, dad, husband, and the current role. Um, former life was trying to be a a rugby player. Actually, there's you know, a lot of a lot of people that you have on probably started their life having a crack rugby union, mate. Okay, yeah. Um, and I tried to offset my lack of talent with I was really interested in training and the coaching side of stuff, so I was a thirst for knowledge on that sort of uh, side of things to try and offset that lack of talent. As my uh, aspirations of playing for your country, playing for your state, playing even first grade for your club diminished and I I became a little bit more realistic, um, that knowledge kept growing and that was probably my hook that I wanted to stay involved in professional sport, and the one way to do that was from more of a coaching and a, a training perspective than an actual playing and that and that ability. So my that led me to do yeah, sports science uh, masters later on, but led me to do a whole bunch of other, sort of I suppose postgraduate and other different courses as well. So be coaching ones, fairly eclectic ones around some leadership management staff. I, I did a diploma in education, which in fact was probably the best year I've ever done, just that stuff around teaching. and It's probably helped me more than any other year I did at uni. Um, so, yeah, I did all of that and then sort of that opened up, uh, fortunate enough to open up a door into
0: professional sport and then have jumped around sports and roles since. Why do you say that was had such a big impact on yeah. you with the diploma in education? Um Probably specific to me but I think looking back on it,
1: you go to uni and you learn all the technical and you learn all the science but no one really – and well, they didn't when I went to uni years and years ago – spend a lot of time in regards to the coaching, the delivery. The planning. So, what a teaching degree did? It was amazing because it was it was about lo- it was the knowledge aspect of it, but there was a massive immersive aspect too, where you would learn, then you would they'd throw you in the classroom, and you'd be there with you know thirty year eight students, year nine students, and if you can't if you can't manage them, you can't manage anything. Um, so, I learned a lot about planning. I learned a lot about how to um, how to put lesson plans together, how to construct. That over time around a syllabus, um, I learned how to manage a group, you know, and different techniques to to um, control back a pack of monkeys sometimes. So yeah, it was, it was, and just getting up in front, being the person at the front of the room. You don't have a lot of time doing that when you're in your degree,
0: and I probably avoided it when I was at school. So it was brilliant. Yeah, it's come up so many times with Eddie Jones, Kelvin Giles. Um they kind of not to say that you fit into this category, absolutely not, but the the old the older end of, of, of the spectrum who, who have gone on to become s c coaches, physical performance guys, started in education and just been in front of that group. And it's something that I spent probably four years doing, uh covering for teachers, doing P lessons and After school clubs, breakfast clubs, and just been in front of that group, just been in front of the thirty-seven-year-olds, who probably ninety percent aren't particularly bothered. The ten percent just want to have a game of football, and actually just just coordinating something that looks half decent and just controlling them so they don't hurt themselves, hurt each other. um, I think that's a that's a big that's a skill within itself and something that. I think young coaches would be hard pressed to find something better at the the younger end of the the careers. It's it's just an extreme,
1: like it's because they don't want to be there. No, (laughs) three quarters of them. So uh, how do you engage them? How do you influence them? How do you inspire them to to be involved? So, yeah, I I found it massive and it it led to, you know, I then took up part-time work looking after afternoon sport at school. So you do a day here, you did some casual teaching. I actually ended up teaching for a good six to nine months after that dip ed before I got into professional sport. The goal was always pro sport, but I look back on that and that was, a yeah, it was was massive,
0: massive. So where did you start in pro sport? And how, how old were you at this point when you got your first role in pro um,
1: sport?
0: Oh, mate,
1: I – yeah, given my age, you say I don't belong to that group with, with Kelvin and stuff like that. I, I, mate, I feel like it now. <laughs> I do. Um, oh, mate, I started in professional sport in the year 2000. Um, okay. I was 23 or 24. Um, okay. It came from – I always say, or well, the start of my career definitely panned out this way. It was – with who you know that got you there, what you know that keeps you there. Um, so it, it was network. It was networks that I had formed, not really intentionally, but I, I got a phone call from a guy as I was about to walk into one of my lectures at, at, um, at uni for education um, and he'd come back from playing up here at Harlequins actually and a guy called Bob Dwyer was the co- head coach of the Waratahs at the time, New South Wales Waratahs rugby team. Um, employed him to run the academy and he was looking for someone to help him out with a bit of coaching and also run some of the SNC stuff. And every time he'd come back from Queens, we'd train together. Um, and he was an old boy from my school. he's was about six years older, played at the rugby club I played at, stuff like that. So he just he called me because he, he sort of he had that reference. And, um, yeah, literally walked out of my lecture, went to have an interview um, and the interview was actually a guy I think you've had on before, Jason Webber. And um, yeah, oh right, okay. Yeah, so had the interview. Good started off, got a like a small job in the pathway teams, the under nineteen team, which led quickly to head of academy role, and then eventually assistant with the senior team. So yeah, that's where I started. And yeah, obviously not going to go through everyone now, but the, the coaches and and people were there, mate. Was unbelievable. It just uh, you look back on it now, and the the names and, and where a lot of them are now and that learning experience I had with bob who looked after me and uh, and all the other coaches was was unbelievable I was unbelievably fortunate
0: mm-hmm. so then why did you had after
1: boris has? um well that was a bit of an apprenticeship and then uh, don't ask me why but I, I I can't remember why I did this but I seeked out a mentor when I was 24 or whatever and it was a guy, I wanted someone outside of rugby because everyone within rugby, I, I was still playing at that stage and I knocked around with a lot of players on the weekend and, and staff and that. So I, as a young guy, I felt as though well, I can't tell them I don't know something. I'll get found out. Um, bit of imposter syndrome. But um, yeah, I got a mentor from AFL, a guy called Dave Misson and he, um, he was asked by someone, did he know anyone, that would be up for a physical performance coordinator's role with the West Indies cricket team? And a couple of interviews later, I'm on a plane to Barbados um, to meet
0: up with the West Indies cricket team, which was unbelievable. So what were you looking for in a mentor? I know this isn't on the list of things that we're going to chat about, but yeah, I think no. it's super interesting because it's it's got it's it's very relevant and it's always been relevant, but especially now with a lot of chat around mentorships and things. What were you looking for? And was that a formal relationship? Was that can you be my mentor? Yes, I can. Let's do this. Or was it a bit more informal? Were you paying the guy to help you? What was the situation? It,
1: it, it back then was informal. It it was a was actually the welfare officer um, for our players at the time, welfare education officer, was same for Sydney Swans, which is an AFL team as, as the New South Wales Waratahs, the rugby team. So she knew Dave and he was at a period of his career where he was looking in to things like that, mentorship and stuff like that. And i hit her up and she just put the two of us together. So it was coffee once a month and – What I was looking for was I was looking for someone outside my bubble as external reference that I could comfortably and confidently chat to that person and say, what about this? Is this crap? Or have you seen this work before? I I didn't have reference and I didn't feel – and I'll I'll be open. I didn't feel as though I wanted to go to – like say take Jace Webber, for example, I walk in and this guy's. Head s and the Waratahs at the time, and I'm sitting there in awe, and I've just come out of uni and I'm the young buck and I've got these guys around me that I'm looking up to, the legends of the game. I'm not Turner Edgar, I don't know. Um, so it was really that external reference or that someone that I could have that candid conversation with without feeling as though there was any judgment. Um, and it quickly turned into being, I suppose, opened my eyes to the world. I'd played rugby um I knew that environment, that context, and I probably it started to it started to open my eyes that there was different ways of doing things, and there was there was all this this other part of the world that existed that I just had
0: never been aware of. So, is that just bringing it back to your your current role? Is that something that you encourage your guys to do now? Mentorships? Is that something that's formalized? Or I think no. I think CPD and all that sort of stuff, the easy answer to that is it's
1: horses for courses, mate. It's it's what does that person need at that particular point in time. Some of the times that's knowledge and, and for, it changes certain individuals and certain personalities as well. Sometimes that's knowledge. Sometimes that's experience. Sometimes that's, yeah, mentorship. So I, I, I think it changes and it changes at different stages of your career. At that particular time, that helped me. Um, I didn't really have... Like, uh, any sort of formal mentorship or coaching or anything like that for a bucket load of time after that. So informal, yeah, but not formal.
0: Mm-hmm. So then West Indies cricket comes to an end. Where do we go after that?
1: Um, sitting in a hotel room in Karachi, as okay. you go, Got an email come across my desk, would I be interested in a role at Sydney Swans AFL too? And, yeah, it was just right time. Right time for me and Mrs. Um, girlfriend at the time, wife now, but it was just right time. Um, cricket was 36 weeks of the year on the road. Yeah, it wasn't a, someone that was looking to settle down, get married, and start having kids. It wasn't a gig for that. So um, back in Sydney, couldn't knock that back and yeah, went back to the Swans. And uh, again, it was if I was to label my time at the Swans, if West Indies was about Change and understanding, understanding, um, creating a performance change depends on the environment and what the the place has a thirst for. And, and you know, sometimes like there, it was small increments, banged a banged a head against a tree for three months trying to do it a particular way, made a lot of mistakes, and and then figured out we needed to do this differently. I had some sort of success in the second second to third year, but. Um the Swans was about just learning that there was a, a, a different way, a different way, you know, conditioning, rehab, um, a flat structure that we operated in as a department, um, a constructed culture and how much that affected the behaviours of the group, the professionalism of the group and stuff like that. So that was a massive six years for me and there was some, some really good guys I was fortunate to work with.
0: Then the swans comes to an end. Yeah, what happens then?
1: I found myself in the, probably the last year, eighteen months of the swans. Everything we were doing, it was like in my head, it was, oh, how would this apply to rugby, or how would this apply to here? And so, I don't know. It just it was time, and, a, and a, an opportunity came up um, where I was told about a job at Munster Rugby up in Ireland that was going, and again, tip my hat in the ring for that, and then ended up on a, a plane to Cork for an interview and promised myself I'd have a pint of Guinness because I might never come back. But a pint turned into a couple of hundred, so I <laughs> ended up. Don't <laughs> want that. <laughs> yeah, that was, that, was, that was just the first month, mate. Um, <laughs> no, it Went to Munster and, yeah, what, probably I just looked back on on that place really fondly, mate. There was a, still remember the sign down in the bottom left-hand corner of Tottenham Park that, same person, must have held up every game, but it was Munster by birth. Sorry, Irish by birth, Munster by the grace of God, and, oh, wow. and that just typifies that place. It's, it's it's it was a brotherhood, and the culture there was so different. If the Swans was a constructed culture, and 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 that Munster was organic. It was just there. It was blue collar. It was we punch above our weight. Um, we 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 perform in Europe. Um, and just that's where a lot of the experiences that I'd had to date sort of came together. Where it's like, hang on, I can I can leverage this culture from a physical perspective, and we can complement each other, and we can work interdisciplinary, not just multidisciplinary. And it, just the the players there at the time, the, the Paul O'Connell's, Roman Agaras, and the the list goes on. Was just it was it was amazing, mate. It was it was really enjoyable. And I, I always say I left with my head, not my heart. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so what was the what was the pull of coming to the the FA when it did, when the um, opportunity
1: arose? I went back home after Munster for a while, and every time we went back home, so you know, went to Wendy's, come back home, went to Ireland, come back home. A couple of months after, I'd be sitting down with the missus with a wine or something, and you know, are you done? Is you finished? It it always felt unfinished the 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 overseas experience, and by then I was gathering all these eclectic sports and these different roles and these different cultures and all this sort of stuff. And it was just, it started making sense for me that gathering those experiences um, gave me a leg up or played into where I wanted to head in in more leadership roles. And then the the FA1 came up and it was sort of an amalgamation of all those different experiences I had, if I'm honest, but just on scale, on, on on a massive scale. So... I got a, I got contacted, I didn't know him at the time, but Dave Sleman, I got the phone call from Dave Sleman basically saying, um, would you be in role? And it was all cloak and dagger, He didn't say what it was, He just said it was football Northern Hemisphere. And I was like, yeah, I, I would be keen to chat further. And I think after two or three conversations with him, you don't realise they're interviews, but they were. And ended up talking to Dave Redden, and Dave Redden was the head of the department at the time. He was the head of... Um, sort of all performance services, and, yeah, I was fortunate enough to get an interview, get flown up here, and got the gig. So, um, yeah, it's been it's an amazing, amazing experience, a- again, like, like others, but this one, just as I said, it's just probably an amalgamation of all the other roles, but just on
0: scale, so it was mm-hmm. a good test. So you've gone rugby union, cricket, AFL, rugby union, Football, do you think, I mean, this is something that I chatted to to David about, and this is why your name came up. Do you think it is that, and you've maybe also already answered the question, do you think it is that breadth of experience, different cultures, dealing with different sports that played into your hands when it came to David looking for someone to fill that role and the FA looking for someone to fill that role? Yeah, I'm conscious that
1: the FA at that particular time were looking for – a particular person and they were looking uh, for diverse backgrounds. So the FA five years earlier, the FA in five years' time, might not be looking for that. So yeah, there is an element of right place, right time. I'm conscious of that. I, I think I think what – I think Dave might have spoke about this too because we've had plenty of conversations over the last four years around general specialists and, and, and different – things like that. I definitely classify myself now as a generalist. I, uh, there's people around me that have got far better specialisms um, than I do. And, and that's a bit of a tear. It's taken me a couple of years to let go and be comfortable with that. <laughs> um, but but I look at leadership, I think – I'm not saying it's the only way, but um, – I don't know. I, I, I use an anal- I'll, I'll give you an analogy that I, that I use. I, I'm by no way. I don't play golf, so if I offend some people out there, at the golf <laughs> enthusiasts, I apologise in advance. But the way I look at it is, is, as I've gone through my career and I've had different experiences in different sports, different cultures or environments, and, and different roles, that what that's allowed me to do is is gather a, a bag of clubs. So different clubs. Um. But then, what every time you come up against an experience, it will come uh, with a decision and an experience that you're faced with, or, or a situation, or a perspective, or whatever that um, or you you play. You know, you might play the seven iron, but through a career, played that seven iron 500, 600 different ways. I just haven't played it the one way at the one club or in the one environment. I played it in in diverse so. Every time I come up against that in the future, or every time a leader comes up against that in the future, it might be a different lie or it might be a different course, but you've got all that experience that you draw on to inform that shot and you're a better chance of success. So to me, leadership and the roles, this particular role, which is very much leadership with a performance slant. Um, is is it informed by all those eclectic experiences and situations you know you've seen something similar before or you can draw on that experience of what not to do as well as what maybe has worked to, to inform that decision or to help someone through a decision or support someone in your team to, to get to a solution or to avoid a pothole, for example. So that's the sort of I suppose that's how I explain it in my head. but first and foremost, you've had to be, as you've moved to those different sports, definitely you've had to be open to being influenced by that place, those people. Um, I don't think if I had been rigid in what I believed completely and tried, I would have been reliant on me fitting their environment all the time. And I I, I, I can't see how it would work. So I think you've got to be open to being influenced by them. But the way I look at it is, is that that's an addition to you or you get something or you grow from that. And that, that adds to you as you go through. Obviously, the goal is to influence them as well and shift their path positively or those individuals and, and, and you get satisfaction from that. But, yeah, I think it, it's a gathering of experiences or, uh, that allows or I feel as though allows me to go into a
0: leadership better position better equipped. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. So is has that, is that, is that philosophy then translated into how you've recruited over the last few years have been at the FA?
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like I, I mentioned Dave Redden there before, and I one of the one of the biggest gifts he gave me was when I walked through the door, um, we had headcount, but we didn't have people in them. I, I walked through the door and I had two Ben. Ben Young, Ben Rosenblatt we were already there. So it was the three of us. Um, and that was around just physical performance and nutrition side of things. Um, and we had another – eight people to recruit, Um, but the challenge we had, which is probably similar to the current climate with the pandemic this year, um, that maybe some other people will find themselves in. We had a human resource constraint. Other people will find that there's either headcount or financial constraints, but if you think about it, we had 16 teams to look after, eight women's, eight men's, 15's to seniors. There's 16 teams there. If we applied the same logic that, a lot of professional sporting teams have, have evolved to with the specialisms. And we couldn't do that with 12 staff. 12 star 16 teams it doesn't even add up one to one so we needed to find a different way to do it so this is where this concept and i'll credit martin evans with this because he helped me explain this we were going after and what i was describing he's going oh yeah that's a t-shaped employee and it's the generalist you've got a wide general breadth of understanding so for us it was you're able to go on camp by yourself and do everything from run a strength session run a recovery session analyze the gps data warm up you're able to do all of it um, to a level or above a bar. Um, but then you've got a specialism or something that you bring, whether it be a passion or an experience that you bring to the department off camp. Um, so the easiest way to probably describe it is, is off camp we operate as a club would and different people, you know, a Rich and Aiken head who's in our team, he's, got a, he's our data analyst, but he's also looked after the 21s for, for the last couple of years. So he's got – that breadth to be able to service the 21s on camp, but he's got that deep specialism around data analytics and to be able to help us understand the demands of the game better. So, um, yeah, we definitely recruit specifically around that sort of T-shaped employees and and how we set up our structure.
0: So did you identify the specialisms that you wanted beforehand or did you go out and see what was out there to see if you could fit the person to the... Yeah, really good,
1: really good question. Um, it's not a straightforward answer to it. It's not blunt. It wasn't black or white. In my head, what we did was we wanted to hire on competence. So people had to be a certain level of competence, as you do, and that's normal recruitment, isn't it? But what we spent a lot of time on and, and what Dave Redden spent a lot of time on, and I learned this through, through the process that I went through, is a lot of time on the character of the individual as well and understanding that. So – we went after competence and character. And for the first couple of posts, it was easy because that was the priority. You didn't, you weren't constrained by your specialisms yet because you could go, look, we want those three people and, and they bring that. It was as you got closer and closer towards the end of those eight recruitments that you needed, I oh no, hang on, we don't need that. We need that, you know. Um, Pete Tierney was a good example who we've got in, in our crew. It took us three goes to get Pete. Um, because we couldn't quite find that unicorn that we were looking for, no I matter mean, how many times Dave Sleman said to me, "Are you sure you're not looking for something that's not possible?" I was going, "No, I know they're out there. I know they're out there," and we we're lucky Pete came up. So, um, yeah, we, it, it was very we were very conscious of doing that.
0: So you've, you mentioned Pete, who came from rugby, Ben, who came from hockey, had a little had a, had a stint in football so you've got a lot of guys in the team who've have almost replicated what you did with with this breadth of experience breadth of cultures breadth of different sports which must that that kind of mixture that that's powerful when it comes to like you say building the the golf club of of um of, of different clubs that you can potentially use and and mix and match and pull people in push people in different directions that must be super um super powerful yeah
1: the the way um everyone's done a lot of people have done their personality profiles and you talk about colours all right mm-hmm. so if I if I if I just, if I just take away the colours being associated with personality start with think about blue red green yellow being the different work that your department or your area is responsible for. Um, what we've done in a club, when I first started back 20 years ago, we are talking about before, is that it was me, a physio, and the doctor rocked up once a week. That was it. You did everything. So you had to look after the blue, the yellow, the red, and the green. You look at Where we've evolved to now is we've got one person doing the blue, one doing the yellow, one doing the green, one doing the red. Um, where I think we'll move to in the future is, is that there'll be a bit of a churn. So with less money or less human resource and where we were at, it was, okay, we've got all that work to do, but – you know what, the blue person can do a bit of yellow and a bit of green and the yellow person can do a bit of green and red and the green person can do a bit of the red. Well, hang on, do we really need the red person? Because, or do we just consult them in when we've got a high level of that red work that's required? So that's the way I think well, we sort of did that from scratch because we were already living in that constraint. We already had that constraint of uh, you know, 11 people, 16 teams. So we, we had to find a different way to construct the crew. Um, but I think they'll be the decisions that clubs are faced with as they move forward. And if, the, if they look at it in that way, um, it can be really powerful because you, you've got a piece of work. You can put two or three people around it and the, the collective, they, you know, talk about cognitive diversity and all that sort of stuff. And, um, it, 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 can, yeah, it becomes really powerful with those different perspectives and the, and the different experiences that people have.
0: What color are you, mate? Your, what's your dominant color?
1: Personality-wise or work-wise? Yeah. Personality-wise. personality mate. I'm, uh, I'm blue-red, really high blue-red from a okay. e- insights perspective. Oh, no, no. Insights, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So do you, did you run the guys through this before taking them on? Because I know I've heard of organisations doing that during the interview process and using that to inform decision-making. Is that something that you did or did you have
1: We did um, – that was part of the – I suppose the – the character part of the interview, like it, the way we structured our interviews were very, were at the FA and I, I not take credit for this, so I just rolled off the back of what was set up pre-me, but it's very detailed, very different to anything I experienced and everyone that we've recruited is, 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 um, has reflected in the same way. But part of that process was some, um, you yeah. personality, profile, EQ, all that sort of stuff. It, it formed part of that decision or a, a significant part, I'd say. It wasn't just about, we we're, were lucky, we, we got a lot of people applying for the job, so finding the competence component was relatively easy. There's a lot of people that are above the bar, so the differentiator becomes the other
0: bits. So we're just gonna take a very quick break in the chat with Bryce, hope you join part one. So over in part two, we discuss more around the generalist with the specialism and the, and the structure at the FA. But get into some of the work that's been going on there, which is going to lead us nicely into the, the kind of part two with Ben and Martin, and then a part three with Chris and Pete. So I hope you're part one. Great part two coming up. This episode of the Pace of Performance Podcast is sponsored by Output Sports, the Swiss army knife for athlete performance. So to celebrate their first year in business, after 8 years of research, Output have just launched a Black Friday sale. So for the first 25 Pacey Performance listeners and followers to use the code Pacey25, you can subscribe to their bronze package with a 25% discount until December 1st, 2020. This will get you access to an Output IMU, all their measurement modules, VBT, Power, Wellness, RSI, Nodix strength endurance mobility and more plus access to their ams the output hub so check it out today to bring a new level of portability practicality and efficiency to your athletes testing and tracking processes so you can learn more about output on outputsports.com or follow them on social media this episode of the pacey performance podcast is sponsored by athletemonitoring.com The world's most comprehensive, versatile and cost-effective athlete health and performance management platform for elite sports. So Athletemonitoring.com is trusted by top development programs, universities, professional teams, Olympic programs, national sports organizations and research institutes worldwide. It streamlines data collection, centralizes the management of wellness, training and performance, medical and testing and administrative data. It also simplifies the interpretation with best practice analytics and evidence-based methods to optimize performance and reduce injury risk. So with all these features on a single platform, AthleteMonitoring.com seamlessly brings key stakeholders together to build healthier athletes, more efficient organizations and long-lasting successes. To see what AthleteMonitoring.com can do for you, visit AthleteMonitoring.com and schedule a free demo or follow them on Twitter at Athlete Monitor. This episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave, which is the only non-invasive at rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. So using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. OmegaWave also measures ECG from the V6 position and this data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement only takes four minutes to perform, and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our Windows of Trainability concept. OmegaWave is used by hundreds of elite sport athletes, military, and law enforcement agencies. They are also an official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. So, to learn more about OmegaWave, visit their website, omegawave.com, or visit their social media channels. So, just dive into the specialisms. What what did you decide on, or how did you decide the specialisms once you get close to that total head count, and who fills them roles, and I think there's loads of questions off the back of that, but you have to start yeah. with.
1: Um, we we were never gonna we were never gonna fill every everything, and that's one of the ways we've worked moving forward to sort of look at okay, if we've got a certain amount of headcount, how do we expand the team, or how do we get more? So we've we've used. Consultants to come in to play a role um, within a project, for example. So, there's some guys, uh, Luke Gupta, uh, Jonathan Leader, for the EOS coming in around uh, what we call other 22 hours or the, the time off the pitch around sleep, nutrition, and recovery. And, and we, we use them in that space. Um, we've worked with Statsports and we've got actually an employee from Statsports that's embedded within our department, a guy called Manny, who's brilliant and, and he's basically one of us. <laughs> Um, and he's not treated any differently he's an virtually an FA employee um, we've got two embedded PhD students one from Salford, one from John Moores and, and their experience that we've been able to set up is, is that they help delivery to a team um, but they also do that more longer term sort of questions that's Emily Kane, Matt Cuthbert so we, you can see already I've talked about three, four, five people so you can expand the team in different ways And bring in those specialisms that you don't quite have, Um, but yeah, within the crew, I I mentioned Rich Aikenhead. He's the most obvious one. Um, You know Ben and Martin, uh, Ben Rosenblatt, Martin Evans, who uh, have got a background. Martin came from uh, British uh, British cycling, and uh, Ben you mentioned from hockey and uh, intensive rehab unit um, with the B.O.A. So. They bring something that lends themselves towards, say, profiling and and training solutions and diagnostics and stuff like that, whereas you've got, say, Ruth Waghorn, whose background is in track and field, so she brings a real coaching expertise to the group as well as that specialism. Um, So it's many and varied. Um, How we decided, I suppose, you know, there there were some big rocks there that we wanted. Um, a lot of it came down to the person and the character. As I said, I can't emphasise that enough. It's, yeah, you know, learned that through my cr- career. That, you know, everyone talks about New Zealand and the All Blacks and the no dickhead policy. Well, they actually got that off the Swans, you know. So the, when I was at the Swans, you learned that very quickly. If you, if you if you get the right people in the building, things tend to work. Um, so that, that was a big part of it. So we we know there's some gaps there, but we've filled those gaps in different ways.
0: How difficult has it been from for you personally getting these specialists in, and you taking a little bit of a step back and becoming the manager leader? And like you say, not been the, I'm not the specialist anymore. I'm definitely a generalist because there's these guys who are better than me at A, B, and C. How difficult's that been for you, or has that just been a, a gradual tra- transition over time? I, don't, I, don't, I spoke to him. A lot of people in
1: different positions, you know,
0: uh,
1: hops within the uh, the AIS system. I, I, I did a course with them over the last with a group of them over the last period of time, and it's it's. I think I'm not alone in regards to that being a challenge, and it's a. I suppose the, the easiest way to describe it is it's a tear. You know, it's a tear between the, the role that you should be doing and moving into versus the role that you used to do. Um, Slight tangent, but working in a cafe, earphones on, enjoy that. A couple of good cups of coffee and a bit of time on my own brilliant. Hence being blue. Um, <laughs> but there was—I don't know why I did this, because very unlike me. But there was a guy sitting next to me, and he was doing the same. And he had a big book, big thick one that had coaching written down the side of it. And I—I I, I couldn't help myself but ask what it was because it wasn't. It didn't turn out being coaching as in technical coaching. It was more like you know. Um, Business coaching and, and career coaching, but I asked him what it was for. He actually was from middle management and McDonald's, and what he was saying was the they're an organisation that promotes a lot from within. You imagine like people come up through the chain. So what he was saying was is that they'd realised that there was a problem with everyone that got promoted ended up doing the job that they used to do or the one below them because that's what they were good at, and you know. I, I've reflected on that in my career. Someone deems that you're good at getting blokes to run around the oval and do push-ups, and they go, oh, yeah, there you go. You can manage the department now. Um, so what they were doing was they were spending time in that middle management teaching them how to coach and to, to lead people rather than do. Um, and that's something that, you know, for me, I know years ago, five, six years ago, I was in a situation used to win to my missus all the time, I've got to read more, I've got to do this, or I'm losing track, or, you know, and there was this, this feel of um, missing out or not having enough time. But what was actually happening is, is I was moving into a leadership position that was getting filled with other things that were important. So that's probably something that I've only come to real comfort with over the last two years. Um, and it's still a constant work on you find yourself and I'm, I'm sure if you speak to the guys in my team they'll they'll reflect on the times that i come too deep and i i get involved too much so it's it's not something i've not solved
0: so with the with the more senior level teams is this, this something where you've stepped back and other people have pushed forward or have you still kept a stream of being the face
1: um no i, I, I I think one of my – I suppose it's a value thing a little bit, but it's that reflected glory. If, if someone's done the work, it's their work. It's not mine. And probably learned that early on in my career where there was the, – I can remember, and I'm not going to mention their name, but you learn what not to do as well as what to do through your career. Like So I remember a particular time where I had a boss who you wouldn't – you'd give ideas to him and you wouldn't figure out it was a good idea unless he presented it two weeks later or he didn't <laughs> present it. You know what I mean? And, And then when he did, you go, oh, that must have been a good idea. Um, So I hope, uh, you know, I I try and avoid that. If someone's done it, you present it. So you've done the work, you deserve the credit. So uh, I think that's the the goal of, that's the job of a leader, isn't it? Putting the pieces of the puzzle together. You're not always the one doing it, but what you do have, going back to that concept that Dave Slimman talks about the like comb and stuff like that. What you've got is you've got a, enough of a breadth and an understanding of the different areas. One, to ask questions, good questions. Um, two, to have a bit of an idea what's going on. But three, I suppose, is that understand how those bits fit um, and understand when you need to ask a certain area to, to step forward, whereas others row in behind or. Uh, or you've got that information over there that maybe that person doesn't see um so you can uh, here's a watch out or here's someone you should collaborate with or this is someone you should understand what they're doing so your work can complement so it's it's that it's that putting the pieces of the puzzle together and
0: and that's the role mm-hmm. you mentioned career coaching and, and like personal development or personal coaching is that something that you've ever dived into because i know it's it's Right, for other industries in in business, like that seems to be a normal thing for uh, like senior management positions. Is that something that you've dived into at all? Yeah, I
1: have, mate. I have um, f- more formally, like as I said before, mentors and stuff like that. Always been informal, but more formally over the last couple of years up here.
0: And yeah. what have you wanted to get? Out? What's been the, what's been the main aim? Um, different things, I suppose. Like part of it's
1: it's the it's having, it's having someone there to, as, as, as they do it, if they do their job really well and I'll be fortunate to have someone who, who, who has with me. Is they help me through it so that you, you talk to them and they ask really good questions and it helps you self-reflect. Um, but I think one, like one of the things, if I'm being completely honest, was is early on just making sense of work-life balance. You know, and and that was a hard thing for me. When you move a country, and I'm sure plenty of other people have done it, we move jobs. It's probably it, it's the same. Is is that you're a you're a busy person for the f- first period of time, and you know it, it, what I've come to realise over the period with, with the coach that I had is that there's no such thing as work life balance. It's ebbs and flows, and there's going to be times you get pulled into work, and you just need to make sure that you you that's not. Forever, because it's it's energy, something sapping, puts you in a hole and puts strain a relationships. So you need to be able to have that ebb and flow, and you need to be able to be present when you're at home, and you need to be present when you're at work. And I suppose the the best thing, well, I'm probably going off on a tangent now, mate. But the no, best should, but... the best thing to help me make sense of this was the concept of time. Like if I was to give advice to anyone, um you know, that's that starting out their career and stuff like that is, is that don't underestimate the time you have and use it effectively because that's the one thing that goes that you're never going to get back. If you progress through this and you progress up positions and stuff like that, time goes. But time's not just quantity. So a guy called Chris Grant who works Sport England, he's on the board of Sport England, that told me time has two functions, Kairos and Kronos. So there's a big Greek mythology here, and I went and had a look at it. I quite enjoyed it. But chronos is time when you watch. It's quantity. Kairos is quality. So when you're getting into a position where you've got less and less time, have a think about it. Chronos, or just quantity of time, doesn't necessarily equal quantity and vice versa. So you could have five minutes with someone, but if you make sure that's a quality five minutes, that could be as good as 45 minutes of crap. So. Um, yeah, I'm sort of half forgetting where we were before. But it, it, they're two things. And as a leader, I think that's a really important thing for me. That corridor chat for five minutes can be really effective if you want it to be. Or it can just be five minutes in the corridor transitioning from one
0: meeting to the next. Yeah, that's an interesting one. We, we, I've not really talked about kind of career coaching and things like that with with people. But I think it's um, it's something that's slowly creeping in probably with the mentorship, still the formalized mentorship Um Type services that are, that are popping up everywhere. So it's yeah. so really it's right, someone like you to reflect on.
1: Yeah, I think like a lot of the ones I see and the, the bits and pieces and is the technical mentorship where and I know I don't know I've looked into them enough or whatever. But for me, for for where I was and stuff like that, it was it was someone that was outside the technical. I wanted the the more the leadership type sort of space and, and those sort of skills because as I think I said before, is, is that we go through in our education, most of us, our education is rather technically orientated. Um, and we don't we don't get spent a lot of time around those those more leadership orientated things, I suppose. They're, they're more immersive experiences that we gain. And I think with a little bit of education, a little bit of knowledge in those spaces, you're able to make sense of those things that you do and why you do that and why that works and, and why that other thing doesn't work. Um it's almost backwards, you know. I look at it as though I've had immersive experiences, and what I need now is a bit of knowledge to underpin, or, or for me personally to sort of say, okay, that's um, that's correct because of this, or this is the framework that can underpin that. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what no. the coach has sort of helped me do because she's being, she's outside of yeah SSC or sports science.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly what I was going to say. Just someone who's completely removed. Fresh pair of eyes, someone that's not got any links anywhere or has any ulterior motive or almost understanding of the industry to come in and go, Why is that like that? Like, why, why are you doing it like that? That's crazy because I work with so many different people who would never do it like that. So, yeah. why do you do it like that? Yeah, just that yeah. fresh. Well, you saw about
1: doing it this way because that's what they do over there, and you go, Bloody hell, that's brilliant. You
0: know, bring that in 100%. So, we, we mentioned that. Previously, when we when we talked about the pick, train, and play concept, can you can you talk us through that? Yeah, so this is probably getting into a little
1: bit around philosophy of how we set up the department. So we talked about before about how how we recruited, and then when we're in the building, the way we like to talk about it is we we work as a as a team. Um, I use the analogy of everyone sitting around in a circle, looking in, and being able to look across the circle and say, "You know what? That person's got value to me because they're working on a particular thing, or they've got particular expertise." So, it it it, it grows quite quickly. This um this behaviour, I suppose, of sharing and learning off each other, which I think is really important around belonging to a team. Um, I'm bang on about that for ages, but it. What the concept we do is we we add to the pot or we add to the center of the circle. So you know, as I said before, Rich might add his analytics, and uh, Ruth might add some stuff around pedagogy of coaching, and. Martin will add some stuff around training solutions, but then outside the circle is all the teams we service. So pretty much you add one thing in, you get 10 things out, and you turn around and you go deliver it to your team we, it, in a consistent way because when we first rocked in four years ago, we had 16 teams operating differently, and they were very what we call autonomic, we, this was doing it this way, they were doing it that way, and we were hoping for alignment, and it was never going to happen. You know, a great example is GPS. Everyone was labelling it differently. Everyone was collecting it differently. It was stored in different locations. It was it was chaos. Just that was how they were set up. It's just the way they were. But with us coming in the building, we we needed to find consistency in the way we were doing things because it allowed us to answer better questions, operate more efficiently, whatever it might be. So, um, what we quickly then realised like philosophically, what was our purpose and what was our role there to do? So, which came up with this catchphrase: which "Is pick, train, play." So we're we're here for England teams for coaches and for England to be able to pick who they want, player-wise, train how they need in preparation for tournament or whatever, or development reasons or whatever, and play as required. So it helped us if we if we put that in sort of a more of a chronological order, you've got the pick thing is is more about chronic adaptations and chronic improvement around capability because ultimately our purpose is to improve the capability of players or, or improve their ability to handle the cost of international football. And international football is different to club football. There is a gap and we've proved that. We've, we've analysed that. There, there is a gap. And playing, for example, in men's senior tournament, the World Cup of seven games in 21 days is like playing uh, top six versus top six in the Premier League for seven games in 21 days. Now, that rarely happens for these players. They they, they ebb and flow, but it's you know Chelsea playing Liverpool playing Tottenham week in week out. Um, so they, they, there's a there's a gap. Now for us, it's how do we work with the clubs? Of course, because that's a that's the way we don't own the players. Um, to improve the ability for that our guys aren't going to get injured, um, that we're going to be able to pick, the coach is going to be able to pick who they need rather than saying, well, they're out and they can't handle a tournament, for example, because they're, they're only playing once a week at a club and, and then physically they you know, whatever it might be. So there's the pick component, the train component's more around the periodization and and what do we do? We've got to really... Difficult situation where we might have players from ten different clubs that are all on different cadences, all played a different amount of football, um, different periodisation models from the club. So it's not as simple as just copy and paste what they do at the club. It, it just can't work. Like for example, men's seniors. Recently, we've had three games per window. We basically get together on a on a Monday and we're playing on Thursday, Sunday, Wednesday. Um, so we can't, you know, plus ones, minus twos, all that sort of stuff. Is just, it, it, The players have to shift from their norm for us to be able to prepare for those games. Um, so the periodisation becomes a really interesting one. And then the play is more about not playing on the pitch, but it's more playing, like we said before, seven games, 21 days, or some of these junior tournaments, three games in five days and stuff like that. So it's around what we could called the other 22 hours of sleep, nutrition, recovery. How can we acutely offset that cost that they're exposed to? Um, and nutrition provision and the fueling, fueling for recovery, fueling for performance. So um, you've got pick, and play, but within that you've got your different focus blocks or subjects. And we've, we've created a curriculum that we deliver age and stage appropriate through the pathway. And um, you know, Chris Rossmus is our head of nutrition. Um, you know, we talk about his T-shapes, you know, he, he's got the nutrition genet, um, specialism and, and the generic generalism. But one of the things he had a passion about was is that creating a curriculum for nutrition. And my challenge to him was, was, okay, hang on, and it probably comes from my teaching background, don't just create a curriculum for nutrition, create a framework that we can all plug into. And what we've been able to build is an unbelievable piece of work thanks to him, a structure around how we deliver objectives and outcomes from 15, 16, 17 and how that builds upon each other all the way through Um, around those different focus blocks or subjects um, within and under pick, train, play. But ultimately, the pick, train, play philosophy is based in how do we support the system, not us creating super athletes or strength and conditioning beasts, or anything like that is what is our purpose for the English system and how do we support the coach and work in what we call mutualism with with the other departments
0: from on a day-to-day basis when you're in the office or now not in the office how do you physically share information is it like the (laughs) is it is it actually some spending time with each other is it Linking so one person with another at, at certain time depending on what they need, and identifying those kind of things. How does it actually work?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I think everyone's everyone's pretty much in that position now, aren't they? They work a nomadic. For for us, it's somewhat the norm. Um, although we still miss that that face to face time, and that's really important for certain types of work you know, around ideation and strategic thinking and stuff like that. You need to be in the room together, so it's tough, but. Uh, it's not, it's not rocket science. There's different ways to do it. You know, Like one of the ways we want to set up the department is we want to create a really vivid vision or a really vivid purpose about what we're trying to do. So I mentioned capability before and then for the medical department so it's, a, it's availability. So trying to maximise availability, not just availability in the games but for us availability around camps and, and training days because – you know, it, it, it all accumulates through the pathway, and those experiences that the players can get on international duty that are different to the clubs are part of their development. So um, it, it's really clear purpose and what we call shared. I'll go there. I'll go there. What we call shared consciousness. Okay. So if, if I, if I, in my head, I've got the, the, the little formula in my head if you've got a vivid vision and you've got shared consciousness. So if everyone was to stand across a line in the department, we look left and right, we understand what each other's doing um, and we know where we can not only collaborate but where we can complement and complement. I sort of think we've swung the dial a little bit to collaborate. Everything needs everyone doing together. I think there's another way of doing things too, just to make sure you share information and your work streams. They might be separate but they complement each other. So if, if we can look along that line and make sure we're not treading on each other's toes and that we're working together, we understand what everyone's doing um, and we're aligned in that vivid vision or that vivid purpose. Um, decisions become easy and, and everyone becomes empowered to, to, you know, does that piece of work or is what I'm going to do aligned to the vision? Yes. Great. No, don't do it. Hang on. Is that piece of work going to tread on someone else's toes or is there someone else I need to be talking to? Yes. Talk. No. I can crack on. Um so it helps people be more autonomous, um, own things, and and be and the work that they do clearly value add, which then brings employee satisfaction in in regards to their role because they feel as though it's it's got some value and it's I've got some ownership and autonomy over what I do. So I think the structures are important to create that. And I know I'm going a long way to answer your question, but then the processes that you put in place around. Sharing So for us, project work needs to um, carry out a two-page plan, maximum of two pages. So if we've got 10, 15 things that we're doing in the department, there's, there's only a maximum of 30 pages there that you need to read. You, you can understand everything that's going on. Um, There's ways we try and facilitate sharing around that. There's ways we put the groups together and and people from, you know, men's and women's working together or medical and and physical performance working together. So we get those different perspectives and those different different lenses to look through things. and then, yeah, you just got to set up your structures around, around your meetings and, and we tend to work on Monday to Wednesday in the office and Thursday, Friday from home. So those Monday to Wednesdays are quite dense. There's a lot of chat. You end up going out to dinner together. You talk, you talk about work over dinner, don't you? Like, there's, it's condensed period of time together. Um, and although we don't get Friday afternoon drinks all the time you might you know have a two-day offsite and you you work the two days but that night you go out to a pub for dinner or something like that so you create those environments to for that sense of belonging and a sense of team um, but within all that you're, you're constantly sharing
0: it's just different Super. yeah no, no really really interesting I mean um coming up to the hour what have you got on this afternoon is it Matt you Year two maths, year <laughs>
1: seven Mate, I had prefixes and suffixes. Suff- so I can't oh, well. say it this morning with, with with my six-year-old in year two, mate. So homeschooling. Oh, mate. Boris Dorsey. has done me in. Boris <laughs> has done me in, mate.
0: But one thing I need to mention before, before I do let you go, we've got a couple of podcasts with some of the guys that you've mentioned, with uh, Ben, Martin, Chris, and Pete got them coming up which should be which would be super super interesting and dive into the into the specialisms that you've mentioned. So that's uh again really appreciate you lining that up. That'll be that'll be coming in the next couple of weeks.
1: Yeah no they're they're really excited to contribute mate. I think you know over the last couple of years everyone's everyone's keen to share and sort of you know we're we're all that, that way inclined that you share out and you get more back. So um, but I suppose a little thing of mine is is that we we don't share until we're actually doing, you know. And in the in the first year, eighteen months, there wasn't a lot of doing. There's a lot of setting up and a lot of constructing and a lot of development. But we've moved to that place now. So yeah, hopefully today gives people a bit of a high-level overview of maybe how we're set up or a bit of the philosophy. And then yeah, I think Ben and Martin are going to jump on the next one and start to talk around more that pick area or that, those chronic adaptations around training solutions, player profiling or physical profiling and stuff. Um, and then you're going to jump, I think the next one's Pete and Chris Rossimus, which is going to talk about the other 22 hours nutrition provision. And, and Chris can definitely chat to you a little bit about the curriculum and how we've set that up as well.
0: Awesome. Well, really looking forward to that. But thank you very much for coming on. really do appreciate it, especially especially coming great after New Year when we're all thrown into chaos especially those with kids (laughs) dealing with (laughs) with, uh, remote schooling and things so thank you very much let you crack on and uh, we'll catch up soon appreciate it thanks for for tuning in to episode 328 of the Pacey Performance Podcast thank you to Bryce for giving up his time we're just going to lockdown at this point there was kids maths lessons and English lessons to do so I really appreciate him giving up his time in a very very busy parent and work schedule so also a big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, iMeasureU, Athlete Monitoring, Omega Wave and Output Sports for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run with its current form without these guys, so I really do appreciate their support. As I mentioned in the intro and uh, in the middle of this episode, we have uh, in 329, we have Ben Rosenblatt and Martin Evans coming on to discuss more of the inner workings of the performance team at the FA. And then 3.30 with Chris Rosmus and Pete Tierney also doing the same. So a really interesting three episodes coming up. So I hope you enjoy the chat with Bryce and I will chat to you next week with Ben and Martin.